The sun is rising on COVID. <laughs> okay. So, have you taken your flu shot yet, Dan from Georgia? Definitely, uh, definitely not. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I have I'll not had a flu shot since I was 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, I had to take a shot when I was in the Army, and I believe one shot when I was uh, came out of the Army and went to college. Okay. That's it. I can't remember having a single inoculation ever since. So that's why I'm in such good health. Okay. <laughs> Everybody they don't else. Do anything. Yeah, not right. Any good. No, that well, no, they hurt you. Uh all of the adjuvants, you know, the formaldehyde, the uh, aluminum, mercury and all the other junk of uh, battery acid. <laughs> right? Uh engine coolant. All the stuff they put in in those vaccines can only do you harm, and it has long-term effects, which uh, the number one long-term effect is cancer. You do not want to take that vaccination, folks. Now, in, in addition... Didn't Yahweh give us good. an immune system for a reason? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah for, for Nahash to, to tamper with, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nahash today is known as Bill Gates. Okay. Exactly. Uh, as I like to call him now, Billy Goats, right? Billy Goats is uh, the one who's tra- tampering with our DNA. That's what, that's all this so-called vaccine is. It's not a vaccine. It doesn't, won't produce immunity to anything, but it will make you very, very sick. Now, I have a quick update. Um, the woman in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, who was the volunteer uh, yeah, uh, specimen, that took this shot, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, and fi- 17 minutes later passed out. Uh, I hear that she, in fact, she has died. Mass media is trying to bury the story, but she is already listed in the death count of that county that she lived in. People uh, have looked that up, and she has been listed as died. Mass media is going to try to bury that story completely. Okay. So everybody, uh, it, I'm going to post this on uh, Eurofolk Radio on the front page after t- this show uh, to show you proof that she, in fact, has died and is listed in the obituaries, not in the papers yet because it's too, too early, but uh, in the uh, county death records. 
and her name is, uh, I'm trying to think of it, Tiffany Dover. Tiffany Dover. So you can look that up for yourself, folks. All right. So, uh, of course, mainstream media, if you look up her name, every <laughs> about 35 uh, links come up all denying that she has died. But if you keep scrolling down, you'll find, yes, she has, in fact, died. Okay. So this is bad news for uh, Pfizer and uh, Bill Gates. They're, they're going to try to push this thing anyway. Okay. So, folks. Uh, welcome to the uh, Genesis to Revelation show. We're going to start with Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Um, going to probably spend a lot of time on this one verse. And uh, when we get to Genesis 4, we're going to spend a lot of time on Genesis 4, 1 as well. Because th these verses can't be glossed over. But we're going to be reading from uh, my article, Beast of the Field, which uh, uh, d uh, does a detailed... Um, word, uh, word study on this, on all of this, and so uh, here, let me uh, scroll down to the correct page here. And uh, okay, it was page eighteen, correct? Page uh, eighteen. Yep. Yeah. Let me uh, scroll down too far. Here. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. The serpent, snake, quadruped or hominid. I'm going to start reading from the Strong's Concordance Online, or ESORD, which I was, right now we're just going to deal with the very first verse, Genesis 3.1. <clears throat> now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which Yahweh Elohim had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. So, now the question is, is this a dumb animal? <laughs> Could this be a literal snake that is saying this to Eve? Can this be a literal snake? And no one has ever said, well, I guess uh, Orthodox Christians have said, yeah, well, this must be a talking snake. Uh, uh, what's your opinion? Oh, uh, this is a human being. Yeah, this is a this is a two-legged snake. A two -legged <laughs> there <person>. you go, <laughs> right? I don't know of too many subtle uh, snakes that slither along the ground. I mean, they may be pretty, pretty yeah. Uh, sneaky yeah. at, at catching their food, but uh, not too many of them can talk, and right, not too many of them are, are uh, beautiful to the eye as this <laughs> right. snake right. was to Eve. Yeah, yeah. As I like to put it, uh, a little Miss Muffet, a, a, a snake. <laughs> popped up on her tuffet and uh, no, no she would have run away if the, a, a literal snake had uh, popped up on her tuffet she you know she would hang around for no, for one second right so this is not a literal snake by any by any means okay so what's I would so, run away if a snake came up to me like that. <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah and uh, plus you know cuz uh, before uh, before the show started we were talking about the 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 ass Balaam's ass that uh, uh, was able to talk, but that clearly was a miraculous event. It's described as a miraculous event that uh, Yahweh made that uh, ass talk because uh, because Balaam refused to utter the words <laughs> that Yahweh was trying to put in his mouth. Right, so he made the ass talk. He said, "Okay, okay, Balaam, this is what I want you to say." Okay, because he was trying to, uh, Balaam was trying to condemn Israel, 
okay? But every time he tried to condemn Israel, Israel wound up being blessed, okay? This is, this is showing that Yahweh is protecting us, but he can only protect us so far. You know, if we doggedly refuse to obey his laws, he will punish us and he will destroy us as well unto death, okay? And this is uh, the history of our people that Yahweh has called the evil ones from among us, always leaving a remnant to carry on, okay? This is the story of the Bible, all right? So, and sir, that story yeah, go ahead. Of, uh, Balaam's ass can be found in Numbers chapter 22, verses 21 through 35, if anyone wants to. Okay. Look it up. Very good. Very good. Okay, so now the serpent. And the serpent is coming from. All right, now my, uh, my east sword is not cooperating. It's not. Uh, let me try to refresh this. It's, uh, it's Nahash. Here it goes. Nahash. And it's from H5172. It simply says a snake, but that is not a good definition because Nahash is a way more complex uh, creature than a mere snake from, uh, from its hiss. Uh, so there's a other uh, definition. Let's go into the document here. Oh, well, let me go through the whole thing first, the whole verse. was more subtle. Okay, subtle is arum, cunning. Crafty, prudent, subtle. Okay, so this talking snake also was able to uh, deceive Eve with its speech. Okay, then any beast of the field. Okay, so we already uh, talked about beast of the field at length as being a two-legged creature uh, in the Sade, which is a field ground soil. Uh, actually meaning a cultivated field and so you don't uh, you don't release four-legged beasts on your cultivated field because they will simply destroy it the only time you use four-legged beasts on your field is to plow it before sowing or actually part of the sowing you could do use them and uh, to harvest to drag uh, you know uh, equipment uh, along to harvest uh, otherwise only two-legged beasts of the field would be allowed on your field to help you harvest, okay? All right? Uh, harvest and dress, which Yahweh Elam had made, okay? And so, uh, to make in the broadest sense, okay? This, so, the beast of the field, it, now it's telling us right here that Yahweh made these beasts of the field, okay? Yahweh himself made these beasts of the field. <clears throat> so, they weren't, uh, as Clifton Emmerheiser and William Fink have argued, they weren't, this creature was not a hybrid of uh, fallen angels and, uh, let's say, monkeys. They don't want to admit that blacks already uh, were uh, existing on the face of the earth. They want to say blacks were uh, hybrids of the fallen angel and, let's say, monkeys, like an orangutan, okay? So they don't want to admit that intelligent hybrids were already created in Genesis 1 uh, under uh, uh, verses 24 and 25, where it's the beast of the field, okay? That's the translation there. Living creatures of the earth, or beast of the earth is the expression used there. And so we went uh, through great uh, detail talking about how the word che has been falsely translated as beast, and Clifton Emmerheiser wanted to narrow it down to four-legged beasts. But there's no justification for such a narrowing of the word beast or che. Uh, over to you for a quick comment. 
Well, I agree. I mean, if how can you gloss over chapter one? Yeah. You know, uh, the other races were, were here long before the white race was created. And we went into great detail about that. Yeah. And uh, Clifton, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compare totally agree with us <clears throat> on that proposition that the other races were already here. And as, as you said, uh, geology and archaeology prove that they were already here. And also that the white race was here before Genesis chapter 3, which uh, takes us as far back maybe as 5000 B.C. Okay, and then you find uh, even uh, T- Gobekli Tepe in Turkey uh, b- being dated around 11,000 B.C., Clearly, uh, structures built by intelligent hominids. I don't know if they found any bones at Gobekli Tepe. But it's, it's clear you have to understand archaeology and geology to understand the Bible. You cannot uh, diagnose the Bible without the understanding the world around, <laughs> around the scriptures, right? Okay. All right. And so he says, now here is Nahash, the Nahash saying to Eve, <clears throat> ye didn't didn't God say ye shall not eat of every tree of the field or the garden every tree of the garden so of course the word tree has uh, many uh, meanings as well so tree now everybody assumes that the word tree simply means a wooden tree however let's read the definition here from the Hebrew eights or ets carpenter <laughs> all right a carpenter is not a tree okay he works with wood but he's not a tree gallows helve pine plank staff stock stick stock timber tree wood so the the very first entry here is uh okay tree plus uh well anyway carpenter so yeah it does come it's tree from its literal meaning but how many trees have uh, know the difference between good and evil not too many not too many though so we know from the way the word tree is used throughout scriptures uh, jesse was a tree <laughs> jesse was a tree right and uh and uh, cedars of lebanon assyria was a tree okay so you can't just assume that the word tree always means a literal wooden tree. It means, in fact, bloodlines of, uh, of or what's uh, genomes of uh, particular genomes is what it really means. And you have to look at the context of every passage you're reading. You can't just jump to a conclusion that uh, you know, it's either figurative or literal. You have to research the subject and see is this literal or figurative. Okay. So let's jump over to the, the article that I posted uh, linked in there. I don't know if the link's going to open up. But this is Beast of the Field, which is my uh, argument against the Emma Heiser-Fink doctrine that the beast of the field here is a, a hybrid of a fallen angel and a monkey, okay, or something like that, okay? So let, let's, let's start right from the <clears throat> serpent, snake, quadruped, or hominid. In its verb form, the word nakash invariably means to enchant, bewitch, deceive, etc. The verb form appears in such places as Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, 
chapter 44, verse 15, verses 5 and 15, Leviticus 19, 26, Deuteronomy 18, 10, 1 Kings 20, 33, 2 Kings 17, 17, 2 Chronicles 33, 6. The noun form is used at Numbers 23, 22 and Numbers 24, 1, and it means deceiver, enchanter, whisperer. What this nakash critter did to or with Eve is not something that can be done by literal snakes, monkeys, or quadrupeds. Okay, fair enough. You, know, so you can read all those verses and verify that for yourself because there's a verb form of it and a noun form of it, and the, the, the Strong's definition is lacking, terribly lacking. It should have gone into the whisperer, enchanter, uh, and deceiver definition as well. All right, please continue. Genesis 3.1 states that Nakash was more cunning, wily, crafty, deceitful than any Che of the Sadeh. The only craftiness snakes possess is their ability to hide and strike by surprise. But Nakash was having philosophical discussions with Eve regarding the issues of morality and divinity. Okay, so... Snakes do not yeah, talk. Right, now, has anyone ever had a conversation with a snake, ever? A literal snake. I've had a I've had a uh, conversation with some devious people before, <laughs> right? Right. But you know, which we also known as snakes. You know, that's what you talk yeah, say yeah. when you think of a devious person. That right. He's a snake, but they're he or she is a snake in the grass. You know, it's yeah. a, a figurative meaning. It, it doesn't mean a literal snake. Right. Well, here is where uh, Orthodox Christianity loses a lot of people because they claim that this is a literal talking snake. And then so secular people hear this and they laugh. They laugh. And then they say, okay, this Christianity is garbage. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not having any part of this. So they, these guys do a horrible disservice to Scripture by making this literal definition that it's a talking snake. You know, it, it's insulting. It is insulting to claim that it is a literal talking snake. Back to you. Snakes do not talk, and humans do not have conversations with snakes, <laughs> right. except in the performing arts. Even, <laughs> right. yeah. even Adam Clark rejected this possibility, as it would have surprised Eve and chased her off. Similarly, quadrupeds do not speak, nor are they as cunning as the bipeds of other races. Although Balaam's donkey was made to speak by Yahweh, the scriptures clearly tell us that this was a supernatural event. Supernatural events are always cited in the Bible as either the actions of angels or by Yahweh himself. The miracles of Yahshua were always cited as supernatural events. We cannot assume a miracle in order to promote a particular thesis, as the Judeo-Christians do. Unless the Bible says something miraculous occurred, there is no justification for assuming that a literal snake had a conversation with Eve. Thus, we cannot assume that a literal snake was made to speak. Hence, we must go with the figurative language of the serpent, meaning enchanter, deceiver, or whisperer, like the devil who whispers in our ears, deceiving or tempting us. This is not something that snakes or quadrupeds are capable of. The fox is the quadruped, most renowned for its wiliness. Such animals cannot whisper things in our ears as a nakash creature did to Eve. Is nakash being compared to a biped or to a quadruped? Okay. The word nakash also yeah. means to shine like brass. It is possible that Eve was fooled by the artificial or reflected light of nakash, mistaking it for the Shekinah glory of Adam. 
Can yeah, we be expected to believe that Eve, who would have been the most intelligent woman to ever walk the earth, was tricked by anything less than a highly advanced humanoid? Virtually all seed liners agree that Nakash was a humanoid, and quite possibly a fallen angel in the shape of a humanoid. The Book of Enoch give, gives this fallen angel a name, Gadrel. Gadrel is a lieutenant of Satan. His cunning is being compared to that of humanoids of lesser intelligence than himself, not to any quadrupeds or snakes. Since we have already demonstrated that the beast of the field can have hands, the most logical interpretation of Genesis 3.1 is that the beast of the field of Genesis 3.1 is a biped of another race. Anything less would be an insult to the intelligence of both Eve and Nakash. Okay, so uh, I don't know if we referenced the article, The Beast with a Hand, by Jason Blaha. Uh, I'll, I'll take some time out to see if I can find that online and, and post it in the, uh, in the chat room. Okay, but uh, you know, so let's get back to the verses here. Uh, now, the serpent, Nahash... And unfortunately, the Strong's Concordance uh, reference here is, is very minimal. It just says a snake from its hiss. But uh, the concordances of other and the uh, commentaries on on the word Nahash all agree that it's way more than than a snake. Okay, as we just went through here. Okay, and so this serpent was more subtle again, cunning. Okay. That any beast of the field, okay, so it's being compared to a beast of the field. Now, we already admitted that the beast of the field has to be a, a humanoid because it can only be a, a humanoid with two hands and feet, and, uh, and also you have to be able to communicate with it. It can talk and understand our speech as well to take instructions to be a helper in the, in the field, okay? Uh, which Yahweh Elohim had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God, and this is the beast speaking here, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay, so, two seed liners all agree that this has to be a hominid, a talking hominid, not a, not a literal snake, so when, when the non-seedliners criticize us, they, they criticize us falsely because they are assuming that it's a literal talking snake. <laughs> okay? So, no, that's not our position at all. This is, not a, this is not a literal snake. So, because the word serpent has various meanings besides snake. And, and then uh, all of the arguments we make against that so they they create a straw man argument against us by making the assumption well we must believe that it's a literal talking snake too no we don't you do not put words in our mouth we don't believe that at all okay so here uh, eve and nahash are having a conversation about god's law right i mean come on even a a, a, a monkey, <laughs> a hybrid of a fallen angel and a monkey, would not be able to have such an intelligent conversation. Uh, my opinion, Dan, is that this is a literal fallen angel having the appearance of a man. Over to you. Absolutely. I mean, there can be no other uh, way to describe it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you, anyone could think that that's a, a 
a literal snake that's talking. I mean, if that, like I said earlier, if that happened, if a snake came up to me and started talking, I think I'd run. <laughs> right, right. Or, 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 yeah, Beast with a Hand by Jason Blaha. Yes, Swamp Fox. Okay. So, yes, and, uh, yeah, I'd say most, most theologians have come around to our way of thinking on this because people who have not been familiar with the two seed line argument simply have accepted uncritically the Judeo-Christian perspective that this had to be a talking snake, right? But uh, that is so that is so insulting to you know people outside of scripture that you actually expect us to believe that this is a talking snake, right? That's the typical reaction you get. So no, we're not saying that it's a talking snake. It is in fact a, a biped most likely a fallen angel, which uh, which Eve was fooled by, okay? Because this this talking snake actually knew Yahweh what Yahweh had said to her. How could it have known that? How could a talking snake have known that? Okay, all right. Let's continue with the article. Okay. Clifton Emmeheiser's thesis is that all non-whites are hybrids between whites and whatever Nakash represents. The problem with this view is that it ignores the possibility that the beasts of the earth in Genesis 1 can be two-legged beasts. But I have proven from scripture that the two-legged beasts of the field were already on the planet and in the garden of, and in the garden at Genesis 2:17 and Genesis 2:20. From Clifton's perspective, Nakash is the first two-legged beast, since all all non-whites would have descended from him. If Nakash is the only two-legged beast on the planet on the sixth day, then we come back to the old problem of where did Cain get his wife from? Do you see the paradox? If Nakash is the source of all hybrids, then where did Cain's wife come from? No other children besides Cain and Abel are yet recorded from the loins of our two protagonists, Adam and Eve, and their antagonist, Nakash. As most critics have rightly observed, Cain's wife was already out there in the land of Nod. There is no record of any other children between Adam and Eve until Genesis 5, well after the events of Genesis 4. Did Cain marry a monkey? Can a half-monkey, half-Kenite critter build cities? Who did Cain fear would kill him out there in the land of Nod? Okay, so all of these questions have to have rational answers. And the most rational answer is that all the races were created in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, that answers all the questions that come up in Genesis 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, right? Because those races already existed, okay, as our discussion of the word Che proves the word che cannot be confined to a particular species of quadruped simply cannot that word is not suited for that you have to have a qualifier such as beast of the earth okay a land breathing animal living creature of the land beast of the field a living creature of the field the word che itself cannot be translated as anything uh, that is a specific animal all right that's the basic, and all commentators on the word che agree with that. Every concordance, every commentator says, yes, the word che cannot be reduced to a particular animal. All right? Okay, let's continue. 
In my mind, the fatal blow to the recapitulation theory is delivered by natural history. Clifton Emmerheiser does not consider natural history in any of his arguments. He confines his thesis to scripture and commentaries on scripture. But if these arguments contradict natural history, which was also written by Yahweh, then there is a real problem. The fossil record clearly shows that all of the biped life forms had been roaming this planet for thousands of years before the Garden of Eden, and this includes the Caucasian race. If all races are derived exclusively from race mixing with Adamites, then logically the fossil record would have to begin in 5000 BC. Makes sense, because we can't trace Adam and Eve back further than 5000 BC. By arguing that Genesis 2 is a mere recapitulation of Genesis 1, 26, and 27, Clifton boxes himself into the Septuagint chronology of the biblical patriarchs, which cannot be started any earlier than the sixth day. By making this equation of Genesis 1, 26, and 27 with the events of Genesis 2, he is saying that the white race cannot possibly be older than 5000 B.C., nor can the other races be any older, because according to his thesis, they did not exist on the fifth day. By denying that non-whites were created on the fifth day, or he is logically day. Yeah. saying yeah. that none of the currently existing races could have existed prior to 5000 BC. Okay, so if all the non-white races are hybrids of the fallen angels, which we don't encounter until Genesis 3.1, or hybrids of the white race and some other animals, which can't be traced back further than 5000 BC, according to his own logic, then uh, there were no other species, uh, biped species, on planet Earth before 5000 BC. All right? This is ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. Where did they get that they're hybrids? I mean, it it doesn't say anything like that in Genesis chapter 1. No, no. Well, you have to, that's because he does not want to admit that the beasts of the earth in Genesis 1, 24, 25, 26 were bipeds. He just does not want to admit that. Okay? So, because that that would mean that Yahweh created, created those bipeds in, in Genesis chapter 1, and he does not want to admit that Yahweh created them. Okay? That's the Fink and Emmaheiser thesis, that all the non-white species are actually equivalent of Edomites who are hybrids. Therefore, they deserve to be exterminated. All of them deserve to be exterminated at the Judgment Day. That's what they, is there. That is their extermination thesis. Okay? So, uh, it, it is absolutely nonsensical. It's absolutely nonsensical. It's a complete you know, deviation from all two-seed line arguments. And, of course, it's not a two-seed line argument because we say that the white race is exclusive to all those, but they're saying that the other races are hybrids of either Nakash or Eve. So, so in other words, Eve is the mother of all hybrids, okay? It's, it's an absurd thesis, really absurd. So, uh, but no, let's continue. There is simply no way to reconcile this doctrine with the record of natural history. The biblical chronology of Adam's seed line from the Septuagint says that our seed line began around that time. If Mr. Emmerheiser's thesis is correct, then there can be no trace of hominid races at all before 5000 B.C. If no races appeared before 5000 B.C., 
then natural history is meaningless. Mr. Immerheiser would have to explain the fossil record as the creationists tried to do. Their date is 4000 BC, following Masoretic Reckoning. They teach that all of the various geological strata, which are formed by sedimentation that typically takes thousands of years for each layer, were all laid down in six literal days. Mr. Immerheiser would have to refute any archaeological evidence that any of the races were in existence before 5000 BC. That is a tall order, which I perceive that Clifton is not prepared to tackle. And he doesn't talk about natural history at all, okay? So, unlike other two seed liners, uh, we, we take natural history into consideration, <laughs> right? And so, uh, actually, so Fink and Emmeheiser here are making a creationist argument, but not including you know, their, their logic that the, the sediments were all formed in the six days of creation, which is obvious nonsense, that they have to assume that's the case too, because they don't want to admit there were any hominids before, before Genesis chapter 2. Okay? So uh, now the question is do they accept that what uh, the Bible literally says in Genesis 1 26 and 27 that he created the, the Adamites male and female? It says male and female, he created them. All right? It says they were already male and female. But then they go on to argue in Genesis chapter 2 that Eve was yet to be created. You know, the, the female of a species was yet to be created. So it's very important that we get this right, that uh, a clear understanding that Genesis chapter 1 is about creating the species, all the various species that we have on the earth. So we're not saying that hybrids couldn't be, come from them. Surely hybrids can come from them. But that... Uh, that all the other races are hybrids of fallen angel, which you don't actually come across until <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3. All right, so that is their argument, uh, that no other hi uh, hominids other than uh, Adam and Eve existed before Genesis 3.1. This is a really, really strange argument, Okay. And it cannot be taken seriously when you take into consideration natural history. Over to you. I agree. I mean, they really just basically ignore Genesis chapter 1 by making that argument. Right, right. And all to make the argument that Yahweh did not create the other races. This is They, they simply do not want to accept that Yahweh created all the races, all species. Okay. Genesis one twenty five. I mean, that's we've already been over it. Yeah. I don't know how you can ignore it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's pick it up. The fossil record mitigates against both the creationist view and the recapitulation theory. My argument is that Cro-Magnon man is the very white race spoken of in Genesis chapter one verses twenty six and twenty seven. And I show in photographic evidence at the end of this essay that their skeletal remains are identical to the skeletons of the modern Caucasian race. There is one exception to the similarity. Cro-Magnon had larger brain capacity, which means that they were very likely more intelligent than modern whites. <clears throat> <laughs> right? Hard to believe, but that's possible, right? <laughs> yeah, their, their brains were bigger. Their heads were bigger. Not much, but bigger. 
This fact cannot be explained by the fable of evolution. Right. So again, true Christian identity, two-seed line identity, is the most rational, logical argument for both the Bible and natural history, which the evolutionists want to deny and which the uh, creationists want to deny. So Fink and Emmeheiser have taken this hybrid position <laughs> between the two because they simply do not want to admit that Yahweh created the other races. right? So that, that's why they're going through this convoluted argument in order to try to convince us that Yahweh did not create the other species of bipeds. All right, back to you. In my enmity, part five, I quote a Hebrew scholar who argues, as we in identity also do, that the Hebrew word yom in Genesis 1 means era, eon, not a literal day. There is really no way of knowing how old our planet is. In terms of the number of years, thousands or millions, it's all guesswork by both scientists and theologians. Yeah, let me interject oh. here that uh, last week we quoted uh, Halley's Bible handbook, and he agrees with that, with that uh, you know, opinion, that we really don't know how long every, each day was. Back to you. But we do have an established sequence of events, and the recapit recapitulation hypothesis contradicts it. The Bible gives the ages of the patriarchs, and calculating back in time puts the formation of Adam around 5000 BC. Hence, according to Clifton's own argument, all of the races must have originated around 5000 BC. For Clifton Emmeheiser, there is no getting out of this box. His recapitulation theory has logically hemmed himself into this time frame. His theory demands that all of the races be no older than 5000 BC. So, like the creationists, you know, they have to ignore geology and archaeology. Okay? Can, can we allow ourselves to be confined in such a box? Again, no. we'd, we'd be laughed at. Mm-hmm. Okay? If we're not already laughed at. Yeah, that, right. Yeah, that's that's making theory. things worse, right? <laughs> okay. On the other hand, if Mr. Emmeheiser accepted Mr. Davies' analysis of the Hebrew and my analysis of natural history, all of these problems are resolved. Cain would have gotten his wife from any of the pre-existing races, which would even include any survivors of the white race from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The chronological account by which the non-white races are represented, represented in Genesis 1, 24 and 25, and the pre-Adamites, Cro-Magnon, are represented in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, is the only approach which avoids all of the contradictions created by the alternative theories. Yeah, and only two-seed line identity has a consistent logical explanation for, number one, the creation of the species, number two, uh, and how it fits in with the archaeological record. Okay? Every other argument fails the test of the archaeological record, including evolution. Okay. And if evolution was a fact, we'd see it happening on a daily basis. Yeah, well, blacks haven't evolved in the last 40,000 years. <laughs> All right, they haven't. They're still hunter-gatherers. They have not created any form of civilization, okay? They're still fighting amongst uh, each other, tribe versus tribe. So White Man 14 says, Homo erectus, derived of apes, 
not total evolution, just slight modifications of adaptation. That is probably correct. Okay. However, Yahweh could have created, you know, the orangutan, and that's the argument that Clifton actually uses. He says that uh, Nahash could have been an orangutan. All right. Oh, Good, but <laughs> because orangutans and other apes are able to stand on their hind legs. However, they their their four arms or forehands are not true hands. They're, they're, oh, they I'm sorry. Their their forearms have true hands, but their legs are prehensile, which means their feet are prehensile, which means they're more like hands than they are like human feet. Why? Why do they? Need it? Because they need those for climbing trees. They actually kind of climb trees trees with four hands. Okay? So their feet are not true feet. They're actually hands. Okay? So they can run fast, but not for very long. Okay? Because their their hind legs were not designed for running. They, they, they run very awkwardly. Alright? So, so, so is he saying that Eve fell for an orangutan? That, is that right. what he's saying? That's what he's saying. Yeah. Or something, <laughs> or something like an orangutan. You know? Now, I don't know why they even... Well, again, because they, their argument is that all non-whites are hybrids. So you have to have an existing species on the earth from which they are formed. Okay? So therefore, how can... You know, why, why not just stick with the hybrid of the fallen angel? Isn't that good enough? That, yeah. that that explains why they're hybrids. But no, they want to make them fall even lower than they already are, right? By claiming that they're hybrids of, you know, a monkey. Is essentially what they're saying. Okay. Yes, and Swamp Fox says, without the aid of the United States, England, France, Germany, and other Caucasian nations, well over half of the Negroids in Africa would starve to death. Or they'd be eating each other. Which they still do, by the way, folks. Cannibalism is uh, alive and well in Africa among blacks. All right. So yeah, let's uh, let's continue. Part of Mr. Emmerheiser's thesis is that the other races could not have been created by Yahweh, because Genesis one says that this creation was good or very good, implying that any creation containing blacks and Orientals cannot possibly be good. But that is a value judgment on his part, which does not accord with Scripture. That is imposing his, upon, his opinion upon Scripture. What about mosquitoes, bedbugs, and cockroaches? What about jackals, hyenas, and swamp things? Are these creatures good? I think our planet could do without hundreds of critters, like leeches, cockroaches, and Jews, but only the latter are of any significance. And I agree with Mr. Emmeheiser 100% that Jews are viable hybrid breed. The Jews, in fact, are not a race at all. They have the most mixed up set of genes of all breeds, as they did and still do hybridize with all of the other races. This explains why Jews have the world's highest rate of genetic diseases. Which uh, nobody ever bothers to bring up, (laughs) right? Tay-Sachs comes to mind. Yep, okay, and they have many others, many others. Uh, You can see that there are skeletal deformations uh, among Jews are far higher than any other any other group. Back to you. The subject of hybridism is very complex. The general rule is that cross-species hybrids are infertile and cannot produce self-replicating offspring. 
In fact, there is no example of such a hybrid in the scientific literature. It is taught, however, as a maxim of, a maxim of evolutionism because this is the supposed mechanism of evolution. Although the scientific literature states that cross-species hybrids are sterile, subspecies hybrids are capable of reproducing. Okay, so For example, what's this? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. One type of dog can mate with a different type of dog. You want me to keep going? Yeah, well, so this uh, I just want to make sure everybody understands what a subspecies is. You know, so the species is canine, okay, and you have all kinds of subspecies like uh, uh, jackals, uh, wild dogs, hyenas, etc. Okay, and these are the species from which the hybrid and domesticated species are created. Sometimes you can domesticate a species without uh, hybridizing. You know, because uh, the Russians have done experiments simply by taking a wolf out of the wild and feeding it. Uh, it takes one or two generations before uh, the, the the domesticated wolf starts getting floppy ears. Why would that be? Well, because the do- the wolf's ears are no longer required to listen for prey. Okay. So the after only one or two generations of domestication, the wild wolf loses its its uh, you know, upright ears. So that's all it takes to is to create a domesticated species. Uh, well, before I read that study, I had no idea how easy it was to take a wild creature and domesticate it. Back to you. One type of cat can mate with different types of cats, but dogs genus canine cannot mate with cats, genus feline, and produce viable offspring. It has never happened, and it cannot happen, because the genomes are too far apart. Yeah, and it certainly doesn't happen in the wild. Uh, there is a hybrid called, what do they call it, a ti- uh, ti- tiger lion? <laughs> they have a word for it. Where uh, they force, I don't know if they uh, can make them mate in a cage, or whether it's artificial insemination by crossbreeding a lion with a tiger. Okay, so they have experiment with this, and but those offspring tend to be infertile also. Because in the wild, this never takes place. It never happens in the wild, because lions and tigers have completely different habitats and rarely, if ever, meet in the wild. So you have to do this artificially, and of course that didn't occur in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Back to you. The two different genomes are too dissimilar for crossbreeding. Genetically, within a given species, subspecies can hybridize, although they will still revert back to their original DNA once the process of subspecies hybridization stops. Here we have to assume that certain subspecies, such as wolves, hyenas, dingoes, are called landrices, occur naturally and were created by Yahweh. They are naturally fertile, and they breed true, kind after kind. These subspecies are the stock used by breeders to produce man-made breeds. For example, different subspecies of canines, dogs, the species, can be forced to interbreed, although foxes, wolves, hyenas, and jackals, natural subspecies, do not interbreed naturally. Okay, so let me stop right here. So Yahweh created these subspecies. They occur in the wild naturally, 
okay? Humanoids had nothing to do <laughs> with breeding these naturally occurring subspecies, okay? So, now, now uh, Fink and Emmeheiser could have stuck with subspecies. Uh, I, I just don't understand why they had to go beyond Nahash and, and uh, try to argue that the other races, uh, they just want to demean the other races and uh, make them hybrids of other bipeds. So in order to insist that they are like Edomites, like like Jews as hybrids, okay? Because, yeah, we all agree that the Jews are hybrids. But uh, to then project that idea onto the rest of creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is really going to extremes to make this argument. Back to you. There's a very good article on the subject of dog breeds, species, and subspecies. And I guess you could put a link up. Yeah, I'll see uh, if I, I, I can uh, bring this up. Yeah, disregarding the author's assumption of evolutionary selection, this statement cogently summarizes the situation. It must be realized that canine breeds are man-made, created by artificial election out of the endless diversity of the canine gene pool. Breeds must not be confused with species or even subspecies, which occur naturally under the influence of natural selection. Dog breeds are only unstable man-made varieties which would not survive unchanged in the natural world without human management. Naturally occurring subspecies actually avoid each other and do not desire or attract mates of the other subspecies. Many of these subspecies live on different continents and would never associate were it not for human interference. Forced breeds must be maintained by constant interbreeding, and this is done by the breeder. From this standpoint, I, are, I agree with Vimeheiser that Jews, whose DNA <laughs> has long been mixed with other hominid subspecies, are a hybrid breed. Technically, Jews are what dog breeders call mutts. Right. <laughs> if you let the various breeds out on the street, mutts happen. This means that in order for Cain to be produced by a sexual union between Nakash and Eve, the DNA of Nakash had to be have been similar to that of whites. Assuming that Eve was the first white woman, Cain would have been the first specimen of such a subspecies hybrid. By the way, Yahshua refers to the Jews as a brood of vipers, a comment which confirms our suspicions. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, and Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Okay, now a general comment regarding uh, mainstream Judeo-Christianity. So, they, they totally ignore anything about uh, hybridization, about the viability of hybrids, uh, etc. You know, they, they simply start with the argument that Eve was talking with a literal snake, right? And that uh, that all the other races, where do the other races come from? They had to devolve from Adam and Eve. So in other words, Adam and Eve had to have a black child, an oriental child, a white child, and who knows what other, other kind of child, Right. That is an impossibility. Right. It is a physical, scientific impossibility. Again, this is another reason why uh, secularists simply laugh at Judeo-Christianity. They simply laugh. You know, the the natural world was created by Yahweh. 
All the species were created by Yahweh, and that's how we need to approach this. Back to you. The question before us is when did these hybrids make their appearance? Before the Adam or and the Eve, or after they were put into the garden? The book of Enoch asserts that the Watchers were just such a breed of fallen angels. Gadriel would have been one of their number. Virtually all of the fallen angel legends tell us that the ones who chose to leave their first estate were almost exclusively males. Only a small number of females are mentioned. Presumably, Lilith was a, was a female example. With such a high percentage of males, they had to seek out females of the existing races. They had none or very few of their own genome of females with which to mate. Hence, Genesis chapter 6, verse 2 tells us that the Ben Elohim, the fallen ones, mated with the daughters of Adam. This is why Jewish men are always seeking out white women. Jewish men mating with Jewish women produces a less viable offspring. Also, it is much easier for a male to rape a female. This would be another reason why the fallen ones incarnated as males. The principle of hybrid vigor would account for the first generation of being giants. First generation being giants. Gigantism would drop off in succeeding generations as history shows. Yes. These fallen ones could have interbred with any or all existing races, but the Bible is only concerned with the fact that Adamite women were being so debauched. That's why Yahweh had to clean the Adamic house genetically in Genesis chapter 6. Noah was perfect in his genealogy, and so were his direct descendants. And we are still, there, there are still some of us with perfect genealogy even today, okay? Otherwise, the, the whole story of the covenant people is meaningless, right? And, uh, and Yahweh himself calls the species of the evildoers, on a regular basis, and we're going to have one last culling coming right up, folks, <laughs> at the second coming, because all evildoers, white, black, whatever, are going to be eliminated, because they will not be allowed into the kingdom, and they will not have the Shekinah glory given to them, because they won't, and only one species will get the Shekinah glory, and that is the direct descendants, pure descendants of Adam and Eve. That's it. And that, and, and that doesn't mean just because you have you're a pure atomite that you're automatically guaranteed right into the kingdom. You, That's right. It, it takes uh, race, as you've stated, race plus grace. Right. So, uh, so we have to have a common sense uh, approach to scripture and not uh, allow dogma to uh, affect our thinking about this. Okay. And by common sense, I mean you have to have a little bit of uh, archaeological perspective, and uh, you know, ac accept the pro the possibility. As you know, even the uh, what do you call it the uh, uh, the, the uh, Genesis one to Genesis uh, one one to Genesis one two, that uh, that is talking about a, a, a major catastrophe that happened in the past that uh, is not explained. Okay, but. Uh, the gap theory. Uh, the gap theory uh, is more common than I ever realized uh, reading um, other Bible commentators that many of them accept the gap theory as uh, an in, uh, indeterminate amount of time. 
between the last catastrophe and the events in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, so it's it's not that uncommon a theory, but you just never hear about it in mainstream media, mainstream Christianity, it's, and certainly evolution. They're not going to talk about that. So because they can't have um, major catastrophes because that would spoil the uh, general flow, the slow, steady flow of evolution. Okay, and for for centuries the evolutionists have been rejecting any kind of catastrophic theory. But now they actually accept the theory of Pangaea, that the planet was actually all the continents as we know them were combined into one single continent, then some sort of event caused them to break apart, giving us the form of the planet that we have now. Okay? They, they, They concede that now. They concede catastrophism. So we can see everything is working in our favor. The Bible is true, and every uh, evolutionist a liar. Okay, back to you. We only have about two minutes left. Okay. There is no way of knowing how long ago the fallen ones descended to this planet. Crossbreeding and interbreeding appear to have been on their agenda from the moment they landed on terra firma. Amen. Their descendants, the Canaanites, were still doing these things in biblical times. That's why Yahweh ordered the Israelites to exterminate everything in Canaan land, including their breed of animals. The important consideration for us is that the fossil record shows that the various races of hominids had existed for thousands of years before the Garden of Eden. But Clifton does not take the fossil record into consideration. He is only willing to accept one possibility, that all of the other races are hybrids of matings with the fallen ones not creations of Elohim. As already stated, this argument forces all of human history to begin in the year 5000 BC, as the Septuagint chronology demands. We have to get this right. We cannot allow our value judgments to determine the meaning of Scripture. Okay, so I think we can end there. We cannot allow our value judgments to to determine the meaning of Scripture or the meaning of archaeology, (laughs) right? We exactly. cannot allow that to happen, okay? So this is why two-seed-line identity is the most logical, rational, and cogent argument for what is happening in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, okay? So so we basically spent a lot of time just on Genesis 3, 1, that one verse today. So we'll take it the rest. We'll start going into Genesis, the rest of Genesis 3 next week. Folks, thanks for listening. It's been fun, and uh, we have to get this right. We cannot have assumptions determining which direction we go with Scripture. Okay. Well, if you don't get the beginning right, the right. rest of it's not going to make any sense. Yeah, you might fall down that rabbit hole or go go take the left road to the left, which leads to chaos, that slippery slope down into hell, all right, that where yep. our society is going right now, okay? All right. Thank you, Dan. Great, thank you. We'll pick this up next week. Yahweh bless everybody. Take care, and bye-bye.